Welcome in. This is Grayson Grunhafer. I'm here with Travis Roeder, and today we are going to be breaking down Baylor's roster by position group. We're going to go through every position, talk about kind of what we see from uh, the guys who could be starters, the younger guys. We're going to try to talk about almost everyone for at least a little bit, just to try to give our thoughts about kind of where they're at in their progression and maybe who they were as recruits coming in as well. We're not going to so much talk about the new guys coming in in the 2023 class yet, um, but we will talk about the guys who enrolled, uh, obviously, uh, in the summer. So I guess, Travis, you know, we're going to start with quarterback. That's kind of where we're going to open up the conversation. And Gary Bohannon's gone. So Baylor's got a new starting quarterback, and that will be Blake Shapin, who we got to see a little bit during the spring. Um, kind of what is your overall view of of the quarterback position now that they've added Ky- – they have Kyron Drones, they added Luke Anthony, and now Blake Shapin is there along with a few walk-ons. Yeah, I think it's a good room. And, and just before I quickly get started, I'm excited to do this because – Whenever I do interviews or podcasts or anything like that, Grayson, you know the the, temp, the the tension is tough between like wanting to dive super duper deep mm-hmm. and keeping it general. And I think this podcast we can just like if we want to talk for seven minutes about the backup left guard, rant. let's do it. Yeah, let's rant. <laughs> yeah. So with the quarterbacks, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Blake is obviously like a, a a very solid at this point. Like, what is his ceiling? I think that's kind of an interesting question I wanted to ask you. Like, what if if everything goes right for him this year? What does that look like for you? If everything goes right, yeah, th- this is okay. Okay, not like literally to the hundredth percentile, but right. Like so that's so, reasonable. Yeah. So I think a year from now, you could look at Blake Shapin and go. I think there's a chance he has a year similar to what Russell Wilson did at Wisconsin. Okay. And and he kind of yeah. profiles as Russell Wilson. The deep ball threat is something that Russ has t- taken with him to the NFL. Just a great deep ball passer, but also very accurate. And those are two things that I do see with Shapin. I think for this year specifically, his first year as a starter, it's going to be a little different. I I think he'll have really uh, high highs and maybe a few lows. You know what I mean? Games where he's just not as efficient. Um, And I think we saw last year, he was so good in first halves because those are usually schemed a little bit more by the coaching staff. And then the second halves, he just wasn't as strong. And so I feel like we're going to see some of that. So my reasonable expectation, I posted this online, I I think that he could throw for around 3,400 yards this year. What Um, did Gary throw for last year? Gary threw for 20... Do do I have it right in front of me? Sorry. No, no, you're good. (laughs) He only threw for 2,200 yards. Okay, so that's a major step up. Major step up. I I think he can get around 34, 3,200. That was in 12 games, though, with Gary. So Mm. it probably would have been more like 25, 2,600 yards. Because if you add Shapin, they were almost at 2,800 passing yards. So, And then I think the touchdowns can probably be around like 28, Mm. 29. So... I guess reasonable is probably I three thousand. I like that. Touchdowns. I like that Russell Wilson comp. Not necessarily for the how each of the. I don't think they move similarly or throw the ball similarly. But right. I, I think what you're getting at is it's they're playing behind an offense that's going to run the ball forty five or fifty times a game. Play action. You know, um, it's yeah. It's play action. Um, it's a lot of kind of clear like levels concepts <laughs> rollouts. He's going to be good on the move, and I think you know. When Baylor plays Texas, I want Shapin to only throw the ball 25 times. Um, you know, that number's probably going to creep up a little bit more. Um, it is. But, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, but, obviously, that that's if everything is going well. And I think, like, in the games where he looks his absolute best, it's because Tay and Squirrel have 250 combined between them. And then, you know, Blake's only throwing 20 to 30 times. Um, I, I do worry about the downside. I think there's kind of two clear weaknesses for him for me. 
Um, and I don't mean to start with the weaknesses. I just think we've talked about his strengths a lot. Yeah. Uh, and people have talked about his strengths a lot, which is, you know, the touch, the accuracy, the moxie on the move, the toughness. Um, but, you know, out of high school, he was a guy who, th- who was very willing to kind of be that gunslinger. And Aranda has used that word to describe him as well. He's a gunslinger. Uh, he was willing to kind of press the ball, throw it into coverage, let his guys make a play which is something that Gary really wasn't willing to do last year. And that's kind of like you're balancing on a knife's edge for like how aggressive you get with the ball versus protecting the ball. And so he's a guy where I think you might see a few more interceptions, uh, but you're going to see also probably a lot more big plays and a lot more opportunities for wide receivers to make plays downfield. And the other thing is just, you know, and it's, again, I've talked about this, how frustrating it is to talk about potential for injury. Like how do you quantify that? But he's obviously a small guy. Um, and Baylor ran their quarterback a ton last year. They're not going to do it as nearly as much this year. But in the biggest games, your quarterback has to be a threat to run with the ball. And Blake's a really good scrambler. I just hope that, like, they're really doing those sliding drills for him in yeah. practice because let him get his seven yards, but you don't need to fight for the extra yard or two when you got a big linebacker or safety coming after you. So those are kind of the two things that I'll be watching to see, like, how aggressive is he with the ball? Like, And if he can limit his interceptions to less than 10 this year – um, I think that portends very, very well. And I think the likelihood of that is decent. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd put the over-under right at 10. I, I think he's probably going to throw for, like, that is a great number. Yeah. I think he'll probably be around 30 to 10, um, 28 to 10. And you got to remember, last year, you know, as much as we like to say Gary took care of the football, Gary oh, didn't yeah. take chances, I mean, his touchdown interception was 18 to 7. Right. He had, like, uh, so I'm trying to remember of all those interceptions, probably at least four or five of those were just like, he totally misread the coverage and just threw the ball right into him. So I think there'll be different styles of interceptions mm-hmm. to where like, you'll see Blake, like he knows it's double coverage and he tries to fire that right. ball in there. Whereas Gary was just misreading the defense. So I guess it doesn't really matter how the interception happens. You know, if it happens, it happens. But I think that will be something to watch where you're like, does, does Shapen understand the situation for when he can take those chances versus when he can't? Right. And, and I will say, I think the running part matters more in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where Gary really thrived. Like, if you look at the overall body of work, Gary only had 323 yards rushing. It yeah. wasn't, like, crazy, and it took him about, I'd say it was, like, the fifth or sixth game. Really, the Oklahoma game is where he just straight up, we're going to run you, yeah. and you're going to make plays more in the run game. So Shapin is going to have to figure out ways to make up for that in the red zone, the tough yards, because, you know, defenses are going to game plan to shut down Squirrel and Tay in the red zone. So he's going to have to make the proper reads and the proper throws. And I think that's where having great tight ends is going to play a huge role in kind of how they scheme things. We saw that in the in the spring game, Dabney, you know, he's a big red zone threat. And of course, Ben Sims. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was listening to a podcast with Ron Roberts and he was talking about that, like around the 13 or 14 year old line (laughs) is where most offenses, like there's a very clear change in their playbook because you can't run your same offense, you know, down the field as you can, you know, in Mm -hmm. that tight red zone. And last year for, for Gary, it was very clear. They would run some quarterback power game. They'd run some quarterback stretch um, and a few kind of simple passing concepts you know, quarterback power, quarterback stretch are not going to be Blake's game no. in the red zone. And so, like you said, it, it's it's going to be about, you know, I think about that touchdown he had to Ben Sims in the Tech game last year. Critical, critical third. Mm-hmm. It was like third and 10 from the 10-yard line. Baylor had to have that score because Tech was breathing it down their neck. And they threw a double mi- move to Ben Sims where Blake had a ball that, you know, Gary can make that throw, but I feel a lot more confident with, with shape in mm-hmm. making that throw. So I think it's going to be about touch throws. And when you think about the back-to-back touchdowns he had to Josh Cameron in the spring game, yep. um, which are touch, uh, you know, touch accurate throws in the corner of the end zone, 
Um, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, but, you know, speaking to your running point, I think we can move on to the next guy on the list, Kyron Drones. Yep. Um, Gary wasn't actually – I was very disappointed in his running instincts and running ability. Extremely powerful, incredible athlete. And when he put his – planted his foot in the ground and got upfield, it just, just looked amazing. But didn't have great running instincts. Um, and you see that running back, too. Uh, Kyron's actually a better runner than Gary is. I've been told by multiple guys on the staff that he might not have the pure athleticism of Gary, but he has better instincts. And so I think when I look at this quarterback room and the the final guy on the list is Luke Anthony, I do expect that Kyron is the second option, especially if it's for just a couple series or two to where it's like, you know, Blake gets banged up, he heads to the locker room, they're not sure. Like, you just stick Kyron in there, and I think they're going to have – some very clear game-planned running options for Kyron. Not that Kyron is only a running option, but I think the offense will look a lot more like Gary, where it's play-action deep shots, rollouts, and then they're going to run some more like power uh, power run game with Kyron. And I feel really good about this room, as long as Shapin is healthy for at least eight or nine games. Uh, I, you know, depending on the timing, obviously you don't want to have to start Kyron against a Texas or a Kansas State or something like that. But I feel pretty good about this room um, if they have to get a spot start from for two or three games this year. But I think once you get beyond that, I think guys like Kyron and I think Luke Anthony can keep the ball rolling, but they don't give you that offensive upside that Baylor needs to use in the biggest moments this year. So do you, so you do feel like Kyron is the true backup. You don't think they'd lean more towards leadership and veteran. I mean, Luke Anthony's played a lot. of. I think, I think it would depend, like I said, on the manner and the timing of the injury. So I think if Blake gets hurt in the second game of the year and it's looking like he's going to be out for a long time, that would be more where I look towards a Luke Anthony where Mm -hmm. the, like we need somebody to, lead for the whole season and you know we're going to run Kyron a lot so does it make sense to run a guy as a um, that you're worried about getting hurt for a third guy again so like uh, I don't know if that makes sense so I I guess I expect it more to be if it's like if it looks like it's just a drive or two or a half or two or maybe just a game you know go with the Kyron Jones experiment see what he's got but if it's going to be a full season thing it's nice to have the, all that experience from somebody like Luke Anthony yeah that's kind of where I I fall as well I, I think Luke was such a big pickup that I don't think people quite realize because he's a walk-on yeah. technically but he I mean he His was conference to say newcomer of the year yeah. in 2020 just got hurt and yeah. so he didn't play last year I mean he he's exactly what a lot of these very good quarterbacks that play at FCS and or G5 schools look like which is he's maybe six flat um, he does. He's not very athletic. He's not a statue, but he's more like a Bryce Petty versus some of these other guys. And his arm strength, he probably can throw 50, 50 yards is about his yeah. give or take max. So he's not going to threaten the whole field, but he's accurate. He's confident. He knows what he's doing. And I feel relatively confident that if he was starting for Baylor, their ceiling would, would be a significantly lower but I would feel pretty good about them getting to that 21 to 28 point range every game, and which making is, a bowl. which is a yeah. massive difference that, you know, a nice luxury that, that somebody like Oklahoma would not have <laughs> for sure. Okay. So let's move on to running back uh, next. And this is a very interesting group because you're losing Abram Smith. You're losing Tristan Ebner. You're having to replace those guys with um, guys who aren't proven or have been injured a lot. And specifically, I'm talking Squirrel Williams and Tay Mick Williams, as those are the two most likely to take over the true one-two combo in Baylor's backfield. Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, I think the only thing that makes it tough to analyze this room from the spring game perspective, so those two were clearly the two best guys in the spring game, but they were also the only two running backs who got significant time with the first-team offense. Uh, I think, you know, 
by nature of the spring, offensive line has way fewer numbers, um, which means that the second team offensive line often isn't as good as it will be in the fall. And I only bring that up to say that when you watch guys like Jordan Jenkins, Josh Fleeks, Quaylen Jones, and these other backups running behind the second team offensive line, it was almost difficult to even kind of get a get a feel for what they could do. Josh looked super hesitant, and he's a guy who's looked hesitant in the past, but it, it's because Apu Aika was also in his face every play, so that was tough to tell. But I think I do think that I could see enough in the spring game to know Squirrel and Tay are pretty clearly kind of one A and one B for this offense. Um, you know, I sat, you and I sat together at the spring game, Grayson, mm-hmm. and I think before the game started, I said, you know, somehow Squirrel got brought up, and I was just like, I just got this feeling about him, and, like, I think we all know he's going to be amazing, but all offseason everyone's been saying, you know, like, oh, just get him four, five, six touches a game, but then you see the ball in his hands, and, you know, if it, if you're playing up against, you know, the final game of the year against Texas to go to the conference title game, they're not only going to give them the ball five times. <laughs> he's no. getting the ball 20. I think he'd be closer to 25 than five. Yeah. Um, and obviously Tay's going to be able to take off a significant load. But when I watch Squirrel run the ball, I think he very clearly, when healthy, is probably the best running back that has ever put on a Baylor uniform. I know that's saying a lot. I know there's not a lot of experience to back that up. But just from that spring game and what we've seen previously from him, he just has the kind of instincts that just that just don't occur to most running backs. He has them. And then his counterpart in Tay um, is obviously a much kind of different back. I think he's interesting because Squirrel's 5'8", but runs between the tackles. Tay can run between the tackles, but he's very much – I had a friend who said it perfectly. He's a stallion who wants to run free. He wants to get out in the open field. If he can make that one guy miss, it's going to it's gonna be kind of like the opposite of Abram last year was fast, but he had a lot of trouble making that one guy miss at the second level. Tay should be better at making that one guy miss. And when he gets off to the races, I mean, he runs a 4-4-5. Four, four, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, He's so. very fast, and he runs so physical. Yeah. And, and even though Squirrel is better at finding the hole, and Squirrel's much more patient mm-hmm. uh, of a runner – Tay is so physical and he was moving that that was the most encouraging thing about him is that he was moving the pile every single time which is what Abram did last year um, that made him so effective so I'm right there with you I don't think they're going to run the ball as much as they did a year ago they I mean between Ebner and Abram Smith I mean they had 400 carries they had over 400 carries I don't think they're going to get to that number between those two guys this year. I think they're going to take more shots in the passing game, and that's going to change up some things um, in Maya's. But I do think they both can be very effective. Now, is there going to be a third guy at yeah, all? I don't know. That That is the question. Um, you know, I think Tay pretty clearly profiles as a third down back. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a guy that can play on base downs also, but he's such a good receiver. He's a good pass protector. He's a big guy. I think he profiles in that direction. And then Squirrel is so good on early downs. Those kind of seem like the two guys to me. Um, and I am worried about the depth. Uh, they have a lot of numbers at the position. Jordan Jenkins. Now they add Richard Reese, Kyan Roberts-Day. They have uh, Josh Fleeks. They have Quaylen Jones. But if either of those two guys get hurt, I don't know that I feel good about any of those guys. Um, you know, if, if those two guys are at 100, um, can any of those guys behind them get to at a 90% of where they're at? You know, Jordan Jenkins is probably my – actually, I'd probably say Richard Reese is my best bet to be that third guy this year. I know he's tiny, uh, but he's small, which allows him to bulk up quickly, and he's already really strong, and he's old for his grade. Um, 
and I think he's going to be ready to play. But uh, you need somebody who can take the load off because you don't want it to be a situation like last year where two guys essentially got 99.9% of the carries. Yeah, I think it would depend on who got hurt. I, I do think that if it was Squirrel, I think Jenkins would probably get a lot a lot more work. You'd work in Reese some too probably. But if Tay got hurt, I think that's maybe where Josh Fleeks comes mm, in a little bit. As Just, a third down guy. Yeah, because of his pass catching. Um, you could use him in a variety of ways. You could even split him out wide like they did with mm. Ebner at times i just think he'd be kind of a versatile weapon if something happened definitely uh, to tay so i could see that happening. and I, I want it to work out for josh Me so too. bad i mean yeah. the dream he's a dream athlete and what he's struggled with at wide receiver too is that he kind of it's a you know there's the phrase in business you know paralysis by analysis where you don't end up doing anything because you overanalyze the situation and i feel like that way that's how josh is with the ball in his hands and the nice thing about wide zone is it's a very read-based running scheme like the running back gets the ball and they look at the defensive end depending on what the defensive end does they go this way or that way and then they look at the next guy and then make their decision so it should make it pretty straightforward with him where it's not just like giving him the ball and telling him to do whatever he wants so I'm hoping that he's able to to take that to heart and kind of and play faster because he has such great athleticism that if he could just plant his foot in the ground and get up field, that he'll be really valuable. Yeah. And I hope Kyan Roberts day gets on the field as well um, as a uh, 250 pound. <laughs> if he can lose the weight, 250 pound running back, he just him in goal line. He just needs to be on like an IV drip and not eat for the I next know. two months. <laughs> I know. Right. If he wants to see the field, that is probably very true. Um, let, let's go to tight end before we go to wide receiver because yeah. I know wide receiver is just going to be the most talked about and speculative yeah. position. So tight end, I think, is pretty straightforward. Absolutely. You have Ben Sims, superstar. I think he could be all Big 12 first team this year. I mm -hmm. think there's a very high chance of that. I think Drake Dabney people are sleeping on uh, outside of kind of the people that know about Baylor. Dabney's going to be a very good red zone weapon for this team. And then behind them, you have young guys who are, I think, very good. Cody Mladinka, Kelsey Johnson especially, kind of fits a niche that they really need uh, at that H-back role. I think Kelsey's just growing so quickly, which is great to see. And I love the depth they've built at this position, and it's only getting better with the 2023 class. Yeah, I think the guy coming in 2023, Matthew Klopfenstein, is um, – I, I did a quick – I was just kind of curious now that the class is getting so big. I did, like – little basic ratings for each prospect. And I think it's Austin Novoselic and Matthew Kloppenstein is probably the two best prospects in this class. Um, but anyway, I think that's where I have, yeah, I have him as a 90, but he's right there with like Sean Tompkins. I have as a 90 yeah, as well. Yeah. But. I mean, I mean, he's awesome, so, but obviously not going to play this year and won't even yeah. be on campus yet. Um, so the two main guys, as you said, Ben Sims, Drake Dabney, I just did a three part series, probably like 10,000 total <laughs> words on these guys. So obviously I have a lot to say about him, but I think Ben Sims is like, if he doesn't get hurt and he just continues doing what he's doing, he's going to be like a fourth, fifth, sixth round draft pick, which considering his athleticism and considering his size limitations, I mean, he's not small, but he's, you know, 6'3", 6 6'4", 6 255, which isn't huge by NFL standards. I think that's a massive win for him. And as you said, I think if he, if he continues on the trajectory he's on, he's a first-team All-Big 12 guy, uh, which is really just kind of solidifies what's going to be an awesome career for him. He's just he does everything well. He doesn't do anything poorly. He's become a good blocker. Out of high school, he was mostly a receiver, but now um, he's really become tough. I was really surprised when I watched the tape last year that um, the blocking from them to Ben Sims and Drake Dabney last year wasn't great earlier in the year, but it was almost exclusively because of mental mistakes. 
um, they were playing good and physical basically from the get-go. And then when you get to the time, like by the time they're playing in the Ole Miss game, by the time they're playing in the Big 12 title game, I mean, they were just bodying dudes. Um, Drake Dabney is an awesome blocker. Um, and <laughs> I think uh, I heard he has like 37-inch arms or something like yeah. that. Like it's, it's, it's truly ridiculous, which, uh, you know, arm length isn't just a stat on the page. There's a reason it's important. And when you have those long of arms, it allows you to kind of connect with those defensive ends and lock them up and keep them off of you. And as you said, I think he'll be a good red zone target because when you're 6'6", like he is, mm-hmm. and then you have 37-inch arms, that means you can throw the ball really high in the air and uh, make plays for you. So, yeah, I think the offense is really going to revolve around these two guys because just like it's really rare to kind of return all your offensive linemen and rely on veteran offensive linemen, how many college – I mean, you could probably count on one team uh, – excuse me, on one hand, how many college football teams have two veteran all-around tight ends on their roster. It's just It just doesn't happen very often. Um, obviously, the depth is a little bit thin – um, as you mentioned, the other two guys are Cody Miladenka and um, and LaKelsey Johnson. Uh, Miladenka needs another year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't want him to see the field this year much. Um, and he was hurt all spring. Yeah, so. uh, yeah. He was definitely more of like an upside guy out of high school. Kelsey just turned 18, but he, he looked ready to play college ball a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, he fits a niche for them, which is like that H-back position where he'll be lined up in the backfield. I mean, he's probably as skilled as a receiver as like Armani Winfield. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Like not quite that high, but like he's really naturally really skilled. skilled. Yeah. Um, and I think if I, you know, he's not going to be as good as Drake Dabney or Ben Sims this year, but if either one of those guys is hurt for a few game stretch, I'm not going to sweat it because he's going to be really good. And I think he's going to be so good that they're going to have some three tight end packages just to get him on the field. Yeah, I could see that. I I also think that my expectations for Ben Sims are pretty through the roof. I I really think he's going to have like a 700 yard, seven touchdown type season, which would kind of put him in the range of like a similar impact as like Mark Andrews pre his junior year. Cause Mark Andrews had almost a thousand yards receiving as a junior. I don't see that in the cards for Ben just because that's mostly offensive style. Right. That more you're throwing the ball a lot more. You're playing more tempo, Uh, but 700 yards, seven touchdowns, which would be all big 12 first team type numbers. I could definitely see that in the cards for, and I think he probably leads the team in receptions this year would be my best guess. And I mean, I know that, I mean, it's tough. It's like, tough. But I, I, you know, I think it's between him, Monterey, and whoever wins that outside I, receiving spot. Yeah. I lean more towards Monterey, I think, just because we saw shape and check down a lot last mm-hmm. year. And so I can see that because I think the outside guy maybe won't have as many catches, but will probably have more yards and more significant catches, gotcha. touchdowns. That's how I view it, at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Ben is just such a good all-around player. And I think what you're really going to see from him this year that you didn't see, that we saw glimpses of last year is okay it's third and seven the defense is going to be dropping seven or eight guys in coverage and so you know everyone's going to be covered so who can you throw to the ball to that that can win despite a db being right on them and i think that's going to be ben sims you know you rely on a good touch pass you rely on an accurate pass from blake and you know that a, a guy that's a skilled route runner like ben is is going to be able to shield his body from the defensive back to make kind of those clutch inter uh those clutch receptions. Yeah, and his hands looked a lot better this spring. He made some tough grabs yeah, during the spring game. Okay, so let's go to wide receiver. Um, I know we got 
quite a few guys to talk about this position. Yeah. And really, I mean, it is just totally up in the air as far as who's going to be the most impactful receivers on this team. I think the only clear guy that we know is going to have a role, really, is Monterey Baldwin. I think everyone else is kind of like, he could be that, he could be that, yeah. but we don't know for sure. Yeah, I mean, and I think part of it is because he doesn't have anybody else on the roster who can really do what he does. I think Cam Bonner is close, but even Cam is more of a deep threat um, or more of a pure deep threat than I think Monterey. What makes Monterey so special is just that he's he's great on jet sweeps. He's great on the intermediate stuff in that he's a better route runner than you think. And then he has, you know, four four zero speed to go over the top. I mean, that, that's just kind of a rare combination. Um, so I think his role is relatively solidified. Um, and then I, I think just so that we don't forget anybody, why don't we just kind of run through each guy one okay. by one? So well, do you want to talk about next? Yeah. Um, well, I guess let's just go oldest to youngest. Okay. So how about Gavin Holmes? Um, problem with Gavin for me is that Monterey starting over him exactly. and Monterey needs to be on the field over Gavin. I like Gavin situationally, but I don't want him taking reps away from Monterey. That's yeah. I mean, I basically at. feel the same way. I think Gavin pre-injury, uh, was an interesting mm -hmm. piece. He was a very kind of linear, explosive athlete, not somebody that I would describe as like um, as fluid as somebody as Monterey Baldwin. And I do think the injuries have taken a slight toll on him. I think he still remains tough and he has good hands, but he doesn't bring the same level of overall athleticism as somebody like a Monterey Baldwin or even like a Seth Jones. I think what we saw in the spring game is that Gavin mostly played on clear passing downs when they played with four and five wide and he would play as an inside receiver. Yeah. I think if he's going to find a role this year, that's probably what it's going to be. I agree 100%. Uh, the next guy up and man, th this is probably the <laughs> one of the biggest <laughs> wild cards and it's Jalen Ellis. Yeah. And Jalen is, I mean, coming out of high school, the dude, I mean, his film in high school is phenomenal. Like, the, the guy was ridiculous, got hurt in the All-American game, and just has been hurt his entire career yeah. at Baylor. That's kind of been the story. Yeah, I mean, his film out of high school was, like, seven straight, like, literally seven straight minutes of him just catching, like, 50-yard yeah. touchdown passes. Um, his speed is just out of this world. Um, his acceleration is great, and he has good wide receiver skills and, and he knows how to track the ball and he knows how to how to complete the catch at the catch point but as you said it's just been injuries and the problem for him is that if he wants to play as an outside receiver in this offense you need to have reliable hands and you have to be a good route runner because if you drop the ball on a slant on second and eight like you're just not going to play in this offense yeah. and I'm not saying that he's known as a guy who drops the ball I don't I don't know that I'm just saying that from his high school tape we don't have any evidence of him really doing that mm -hmm. we just know that he's he takes the lid off Monterey is going to be that inside guy who's taking the lid off, and I don't think Jalen's going to play over him. So it's a very clear question of can Jalen become an all-around receiver? And that's just pure speculation from you and I. I mean, yeah. you and I have talked to people that have watched him at practice, and but the problem is that nobody has really watched him at practice so much because he's been hurt for so long. He was hurt all spring. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think it's just pure speculation. I think it's very clear if he becomes a complete wide receiver to where he can he can be money on slants, he can hit the comeback routes, we know that that speed will play at an elite level. Yeah, the only glimpses we have was last spring when he was utterly dominant before he got mm -hmm. hurt. Like, was scoring touchdowns in spring, and it was crazy. It was like, oh, my gosh, this guy with Gary or Jacob is going to put up a bunch of points, got hurt, didn't play. The other glimpse we have was the OU game a few years ago where he mossed the dude down the sideline. Oh, yeah, Everyone's yeah. like, oh, my, there's a glimpse. Yeah. But that's all we have with Jalen Ellis right now. Uh, moving on to the sophomores, let's go with Seth Jones yeah. up next. He started the spring game, yeah. obviously, and uh, there, there's some potential there. 
Yeah, I mean, I really liked him out of high school. I actually, uh, you know, you win some, you lose some, and there's still time for him to prove me right. But out of high school, I compared him to um, Tyler Wallace, the Oklahoma State wide receiver, in that both of them are like 5'11", but just play really big. Like, they know how to make contested catches on the sideline. They have good speed, and they profile as all-around receivers, even though they're smaller. Seth is just a guy that, by all accounts, it's just been like an adjustment to college type thing. It's been a being reliable day in, day out. Everybody in this in this receiver room is uber talented. You can't get by on just talent alone. You have to hone everything about your game. But as you said, he's only a sophomore, right? Redshirt, or yeah. Redshirt sophomore. So, yeah, he's a third-year guy, plenty of time. And he started in the spring game. Um, you know, the exact role for him this year, I think he's a guy that if in games when Baylor plays with more three wide receivers on the field, he's a guy that can operate as that third wide receiver. You know, or if he outplays somebody like Monterey, which he has the athletic ability to do, he could start in those two wide receiver sets. But I expect him this year to be more of a third and fourth option. But that's a lot more than I thought prior to the spring game. I'd kind of forgotten about him. I uh, wasn't really thinking about him much. But now at this point, I expect him to be one of the top four wide receivers on the team. I don't have quite that high expectations. I have a couple guys that we'll get to who I think sure. will actually take over that role okay. at some point. Um, I do like Seth. I, I actually always thought he was going to end up being a defensive back at some point. I know A&M offered <laughs> so him a DB. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, he's still a good player, and I was surprised he started, and he did show glimpses. So there's definitely an opportunity there that he has to go out and seize in fall camp because I think every position is up for grabs right now sure. at wide receiver. Uh, we talked about Monterey already. Yeah. I, I don't think we need to go over him. Uh, let, let's go with Josh Cameron, though, sure. a guy who got a scholarship now. He's on scholarship, had a great spring probably the best spring of any of these wide receivers because he wasn't hurt yep. everyone else got hurt so uh, Josh Cameron on scholarship great contested catch guy and a great red zone threat as well great route runner yeah um, great hands he has really long arms um, massive wingspan you know he was a guy that ran like a 5140 at a combine in high school and so basically every school just didn't even bother to look at him again but he was injured at the time and he looks now like I've seen a couple of, of videos of him running this spring where you can kind of get a, a 40 time on him a, thereabouts. And he looks like he's about a 4.6547 guy. And at 6'2", 215, that's, that's perfectly fine. I mean, obviously you would prefer a guy who's like 4.55 or so like Armani Winfield mm -hmm. is or a Hal Presley is probably in that range also. But Josh brings a lot to the table in that, you know – Positions, you know, the, the distinction between wide receiver and tight end in modern college football is just being blurred further and further. Mm -hmm. And I think something that you could really see interesting with Josh this year, that even though he's kind of playing that Tyquan Thornton outside receiver role, is you can get in some situations where he kind of functions as a pseudo H-back. You know, Baylor asked their wide receivers to crack back and block a lot, and he's a guy who very clearly profiles to be good at that, especially as they want to get the ball out on the edges. You yep. need the wide receivers to kind of control Great those defensive – backs mm -hmm. so I think he profiles well there and I think honestly at this point it's between him and Armani Winfield and Hal Presley and maybe Javon Gibson for being that starting wide receiver game one yeah I think I think that's about right on the on the outside but you could start both obviously sure. and have Monterey as the uh the slot guy um next up you mentioned him Hal Presley um I love Hal I, I how think, could you not <laughs> yeah I think Hal has such a high ceiling I hate that he got hurt and mm -hmm. I hate the kind of injury that he had because yeah. it's one of those that you just never know how long it takes to recover from Which that. Which is he broke his foot. Right. Yeah. He broke his foot. So you're kind of like, 
mm, what's going to happen there. I Going into the year, I did expect him to be the starter on the outside. I still think there's a chance he gets there, but there is also a chance that I have in my mind that he doesn't start out as the starter, like and then he works yeah. his way into being the guy on the outside. I think if I had to make a prediction, that would, that would be my guess, is that by the end of the year, he's Baylor's top outside wide receiver yeah. target. I mean... He, it was between him and Tate Williams for being my highest rated recruit in last year's class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think his upside is very high. I don't think it's like, I don't think he's ever going to be like a top three NFL, a uh, top three round pick in the NFL, just because I don't think his speed is quite there. Um, but that, I think that's like, that's kind of beside the point because yeah. the reason why I had him rated so highly is because his game, which is being like a six foot two, tall lanky wide receiver who can just dominate people down the field because he's so good at the catch point and he's big and tough to where he can do all the kind of underneath and intermediate stuff too is like i just think he's basically a guarantee that by the time he leaves baylor he's a first team all big 12 wide receiver and in a league with a lot of wide receiver talent that's just that's pretty spectacular um yeah i mean well i hope he proves me wrong on the nfl (laughs) draft point um, I think he probably just needs to get a little bit faster, but he's a four five five guy, I think mm-hmm. thereabouts, and that's that's plenty fast to dominate at the college level. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think Cal is very high ceiling by the yep. time he leaves Baylor. Um, next up here, let, let's go with um, let's go with Elijah Bean. Um, okay, kind of a forgotten member yeah. of the group a little bit. No one really talks about him. Big, long frame, not the fastest, not does not have elite speed. Uh, and his hands are a little a bit of a question mark as well, but a great frame and a guy that I still think is in the developmental mode right now. Yeah, he's an, he was a really interesting prospect because he ran, I think as like a 13 or 14-year-old, he was like the fastest 400-meter yeah. runner in all of the United States. Um, and he still is really fast for his size. I mean, like you said, he's like 6'5". I mean, a 4'8 guy. Yeah. Oh, is he really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Out of high school. Yeah. Oh, okay, not as fast as I thought he was then. Um, I mean, he looks good at 6'5". I think the question mark for me is, like, does he have the feel for the position? Can he become a great route runner? Can he have reliable hands? If not, then he probably needs to become a defensive back or play linebacker or something like that. But I think, you know, it was very clear what he was when he was a take, which was if he develops these other skills, he's got great athleticism and he's got great size and it'll work out. But he was a developmental project, so it's not a surprise for me that as a second- and third-year guy, he's not there yet. Yeah, and I think his path to being successful needs to go in the path of Josh Cameron. I yeah. think that's that's the route he needs to take if he wants to be a contributor uh, at Baylor. Uh, next up, Cameron Bonner. We saw a yeah. big touchdown from him in the spring game. He got loose. I know he's excited about special teams. I know that he's excited about his role there, and we saw all spring he's a starter on special teams. But then at the wider receiver position, we finally got to see glimpses of him with his speed taking yeah. the top off the defense. I mean, that was really cool. He was the one that caught the pass from, from C.J. Rogers. Yep. Um, and he had a couple of, of sweeps of sweeps that he looked mm-hmm. good on too, which surprised me because I thought he was more of a linear athlete out of high school, but he looked pretty like he had good yeah. bend. Fluid. Um, so yeah, I think it's pretty clear where like he's probably the prime. I mean, depending on how you define Seth Jones and maybe a Gavin Holmes, I think Cam is probably that primary backup to the role that um, Monterey Baldwin plays. And Cam's only a second-year guy. I guess he's, you know, Monterey's also a second-year guy, so that creates a, a bit of a butting head situation there. But it's a, it's a situation to where, even though I think Monterey Baldwin is probably Baylor's best overall wide receiver, I wouldn't be doom and gloom if he were hurt for a long time because I think Cam 
does a lot of what Monterey does and, and does it pretty well. I'm pretty excited about Kim. Yeah, there's another guy that we're going to talk about that I think might have something to okay. say about that. We'll get to him in a second, but I do agree with what you're saying about Cameron Bonner. I don't even know who you're talking about, yeah, so I'm we'll, excited. We'll get to him. Okay. <laughs> uh, next up, Javon Gibson, another guy shown flashes, young, very young. I still think he's a developmental guy who could see some playing time this year. Love his speed, love his upside, and he has grown. Like, his body looks so much better. He was young. Yeah, young, young. Yeah. yeah. I mean, his his question is hands. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, Taekwon became very reliable despite having the world's smallest hands for a wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, I don't know Gibson's hand size, but I think they're also like pretty small, like Taekwon's. Um, and that's just the thing. Like Gibson has it all. He just needs to be become a reliable uh, receiver. Uh, he looked good in the spring game and like physically he ran like he just ran a route one time and I kind of did like a double take. I was like, who was that? I mean, he just looked amazing. But then he like double clutched one pass, had another couple good receptions. And, you know, I think it's, it's very clear for me. Like if he ever becomes a reliable hands guy, he's probably the most talented overall wide receiver on the, I mean, it's tough to say that on this team, but I think if he, if he develops good hands, uh, he's up there for being the best athlete, like functionally overall as a wide receiver on the team. So that's the clear path for him. Yeah, definitely. I actually think the next guy is probably the most well-rounded receiver of all the guys as far as his ceiling and kind of how I view his development sure. going. And for me, that's Armani Winfield. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we saw flashes this spring, and he's a great route runner, but he also has very good speed as well. Like yeah. He's an underrated athlete who can really run routes, and I, I like what he's going to bring to the table. He'll be a top three wide receiver in my eyes on this team, for sure top four, um, and I think he's going to get the targets necessary to get there. Yeah, and I, you know, what I liked about him out of high school is he's an elite route runner. As you said, he has better speed than, I, I don't know what most people think his speed is, but I think he's probably about a 4.55 five yeah. guy, um, which is at 6'2", you know, 195 or whatever is pretty good. But his route running ability is just, like, out of this world. And the reason why I liked him this year is because I think, like how Shapen is going to use Ben Sims on these kind of clear got-to-have-it situations, I think Armani is a clear situation where, you know, it's third and nine, and so you're splitting out four or five wide receivers, and you put Armani up against a safety from inside, and you just say, go win. And I think he's a great, uh, great target to do so. And I definitely think it's between him, Josh Cameron, and Hal Presley for being the starting, you know, out wide guy this year. And he has all the potential in the world to do it. Um, I mean, just when you see him in practice videos, when you see him in the spring game, like just the way he moves, you're just like, this guy has it. Yeah, it's good. I think he's just a clear upgrade over RJ Sneed. Oh, I, I, that's yeah. that's how I like I view him scheming kind of like RJ, but just way better. So getting way more opportunities. Yeah. And that's on the what field. and that what I just described that kind of like got to have it situation because RJ yeah. had such great hands mm-hmm. that they did use him in that situation last year. Right. And so I think they could definitely fulfill a similar role. And I'm with you. I'd, I'd rather have Armani yeah. than RJ. Big time. And then the final one, and this is one I'm really excited about. That's Jordan Neighbors. Oh, Jordan. How did yeah, I forget about I, him? Okay, just, there you Justin go. Justin Rolled. I am so intrigued by him as a prospect because the speed is out of, the, out of this world. He's young, very young for his grade, and the production is there as well, even though he was a second option on his high school team. He's special, and I think he's going to fight his way on the field year one. Yeah, I mean, I for, I honestly just forgot about him. All right, kick Cam Bonner off the team. You don't need him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you could – Jordan is as good as it comes athletically. Um, he plays big. He's, you know, he's like Corey Coleman. Like, sometimes you – it's just like I bet if you did a poll on Sikkim three six five or just like did a blind poll like who does this player remind you of? I bet ninety nine percent of 
365 members would have said Corey Coleman. It's yeah. not a difficult comparison. Mm-hmm. They're big guys, or excuse me, they're 5'11 guys who play just tough, physical, explosive, amazing deep speed, amazing acceleration. So the question for me is just like, you know, how quickly does he pick up the offense? How quickly does he become reliable against knowing what to do against certain coverages, like sitting down in zone versus, you know, what you do versus man, all that kind of stuff. Because as soon as he figures that out, he's one of the he's one of the three or four best wide receivers on the team. So we just said that about a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, if you figure that, you know, Tay and Squirrel and Ben Sims and Drake Dabney are all going to receive a significant amount uh, maybe not squirrel as far as reception yeah. targets. Uh, so maybe one of the running backs, the two tight ends, you figure are probably going to be top six on the team in mm-hmm. receptions, right? And six guys is usually about how many people get, like, the lion's share of targets. Yeah. So that's three. If you had to kind of pick your your other three for who gets the most receptions this fall, what would you what would you think? Monterey is for sure yeah. one of them. Um, so Monterey's on that group. I, I you know, I don't know that they're going to check down as much to the running back. I don't know that Shapin's going to do that as much. So I think you might. They have design a lot. Room. They design a lot of passes for the running back. They though. do. I just, I just wonder. He's a gunslinger, man. Like yeah. I just think we're going to see. Like Tyquan had sixty-two receptions last year. Yeah. I think if he was on this year's team, he'd have like ninety or a hundred. <laughs> yeah, you probably. know what I mean? Like just so different the way that I think they're going to scheme things and allow Shapin to take shots. I think my other two would probably be by the end of the year. I, I mean, it's hard to bet against Josh Cameron because he's healthy in his plate. So I guess he's got to be on there. And then I'd probably go with Armani just because I do think it could take Hal Presley a minute to get up to the point where he is the unquestioned yeah. best receiver. But I do think by the end of the year, it might be him. So, again, it's just a cluster, man. But those three would be my best bets. I, th- I think I'm with you there. Armani, uh, Monterey, and then Josh Cameron to start out the year yeah. and then maybe he holds off Hal Presley. Mm-hmm. And if you if if he holds off Hal, that just tells you that Josh is killing it. Yeah. Um, and then maybe it's Hal at the end of the year. So yep. I think I'm with you there. Yeah, so that's kind of how I see it. I do think there'll be more targets to go around. You're not gonna see RJ 46 catches, Taekwon 62. You know, it's just they're gonna throw it more. Drew yeah. had 30. So that's kind of how we see the wide receiver. So let's move on to offensive line and I don't know how much time we need to spend kind of going through each one, but let's talk about the fact that their starting offensive line is going to be absolutely legit this year. We know about Connor Galvin. We know about Khalil Keith. They're fantastic. I think Keith is probably the best NFL prospect. Definitely. Um, They have Jacob Gall, and we know about him, Grant Miller as well. But the biggest question is who's taking over the other guard spot. Will it be be Micah Mascua or will it be Moj Jeffrey anchoring? Yeah, it's a tough question. I thought... Maz, I think Maz at his best is better than Moe's, uh, but Moe's is older and potentially more reliable. Um, I think we all remember in college, by the time you're 22, 23, you're a little bit more reliable than when you were 19 or 20. Um, and so I think consistency is really just the big key for Maz because physically, I don't know if there's a better looking Baylor offensive lineman than Maz, just, um, just built for the position, extremely powerful. Um, he'll be great. Um, and then, so as you said, you know, Jacob Gall, uh, Connor Galvin, Khalil Keith, I think those three positions are relatively set in stone. I think Grant Miller is probably also relatively yeah. set in stone. He was a guy that last year was playing pretty significantly injured with some high ankle mm-hmm. sprains, and I think that really limited his mobility. If he's healthy this year, I think he's got that spot pretty much on lockdown. Um, but if he gets injured again or just isn't playing as well as he's capable of, that's where you could see somebody like Tate Williams or something come into play there. But I think the primary guys that you're probably looking at as far as 
you know, you've got your starting five, and then usually you've got two or three swing players who are kind of biting at the heels. I think that's where I'm looking at guys like uh, like Maz um, or most Jeffrey, Jeffrey, depending on yeah. who wins that job. They're very flexible. To have guard depth, though, is big, for yeah. sure. And then I think the other guy that's probably really going to make a push at guard, even though he played right tackle in the spring game, is Tate Williams, because I think that's just where he profiles mm-hmm. long-term. And then there's Gavin Byers, who has been kind of – Mateos is every man. He's played right tackle. He's played guard. Yeah. Um, hasn't played center, but I think he could play any of those other positions. And that's big because I don't know who Baylor's backup left tackle is going to be this year. It's going to be Gavin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I firmly believe that. I think Gavin is their swing man at tackle. Yeah. He's the guy that they would like to play tackle. I think in a pinch, Maz could play right tackle. I do yeah. think he has that kind of ability. Left tackle, though, I think that's probably where Gavin would probably have to come into play, and that's why Connor Galvin is so irreplaceable. But the great news is, at guard and on the interior, I feel really good about the four they have, and then also Tate um, possibly being the fifth guy um, as well. The rest of the group, very young. Yeah, very young. Is there anybody in the the youngest guys you're kind of keeping your eye on in the next year or two? Yeah, you know, I'm hoping none of them have to play. Um, But if you're going off of highest rated types, it's Alvin Ebosele. He's he's my top as far as, like, I see him as a left tackle, the left tackle. Put him behind Connor Galvin this year so that he can replace him next year. That's kind of my thoughts there. Exactly. That's kind of how I see it as well. And then I'm really, really, really hoping for a big jump out of two guys. And it's George Maia. I just want to see him really establish himself. And then I want Bryce Simpson to take football extremely seriously. Yeah, he's got to get his body right. And get his body right. Because if he does, I mean, if you see him, you're just like, holy cow. This guy is a behemoth, but he's got to lose the weight, got to get his body in shape. And I, I think he can do that, though. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. He needs to get on that Kyan Roberts yeah. day uh, <laughs> diet. Salad. Salads only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I hope we don't have to see him play this year, but I'm kind of pretty interested to see Connor Heffernan's development because I was really worried about losing Jacob Gall this offseason, yeah. and I was super happy that he came back because I didn't know who was going to play center. Heffernan's the backup, um, but kind of until I see it happen, Baylor's center is like, maybe the most important position on that O-line. It's so difficult to play. Hot take. I think Maya yeah. can take over the, no, I think the so backup too. center spot. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, Timothy Don is another kid who just came mm-hmm. in uh, that I think could also play center. Maya is shorter. Colton could play center, I um, think, in a pinch. Colton Price. Oh, Price. I thought yeah. you were uh, – I was thinking of – I was thinking Colton Serac. Oh, <laughs> no, no. And then I was thinking Caden Serac. Yeah, at center, no, 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 six, no. seven. Colton Price. Yeah, Colton can play center. I think they have some good center options for the future. So it'll be interesting to watch Heffernan's development, whether that he becomes the guy next year or whether he's a guard. Because um, I'm not sure if he has quite the athleticism to play at the position, but he might. I'm mm-hmm. saying I, I just don't know. I yeah. think that's an open question. But as you said, Maye, he you know he was listed at like six three to six four on recruiting profiles. He's a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, but he's a lot closer to like six one, six two. Um, I don't know his exact height, but if you look at the pictures of them from the spring, he's he's like closer to 6'2 or so, yep. which really profiles well at center. Yeah, I agree. Um, moving on to the defensive side. Uh, again, defensive line, we don't have to talk too in-depth. I just think they're so versatile up front because of how many older guys they have. Um, I do think the starters, though, should be Apuika, Gabe Hall, TJ Franklin. That's how I view it. I know that Cole Maxwell would probably get upset with that, and I understandably, because Cole is awesome as well. I think those are the starters, and then Cole Jackson player, and probably Braden Utley will probably be the the next three, I would kind of think, even though 
There's a lot of other guys that could rotate in. Chidi, Chidi Cooper. Yeah, exactly, that could profile as well. But either way, I do think you're going to see a lot of Jackson players the backup knows, yes. but I also think you're going to see him play the other positions as well a lot. Yeah, so Baylor has two primary fronts they run. They run the tight front, which is when you know Apu lines directly up over the center, the head-up nose, the zero nose, as they call it, and then they have two defensive ends who are playing that kind of two-gapping style lined up inside the offensive tackle where their job is to kind of control the guy in front of them. They're not trying to penetrate in the backfield. But then in another style that is called an underfront, um, but all that really means is that things are kind of shifted to where instead of guys playing head up over guys, they're playing more to play through the gaps. Um, and that's an overgeneralization. But I bring that up because I think when Baylor play, plays that base tight front style that they like to do to control the run game, I think that's where you'll see a Jackson player as the backup nose. You can kind of just rotate him and Apu, Apu Aika, get them each 30 or 40 snaps a game. But against – so. Baylor didn't run that tight front against Oklahoma State last year. Um, they ran that under front. And I think that's a situation where in the under, you could have Apu and Jackson on the field at the same time because you can use Jackson player as like a true defensive end as opposed to like – Jackson's not a guy you want to gapping. Yeah. He's got short arms. He's 5'11", 6 foot. Um, and so I think it's a situation where he plays backup nose and penetrates or against teams that they want to run more of this under front where they have more of a true defensive end who's lined up on the outside shoulder of the, def- of the offensive tackle instead of the inside shoulder. Mm-hmm. That's a pr- spot where he profiles really well. Um, and I would just like to say, um, I, not to, I'm just really happy to see uh, in the most recent athletic article, uh, there was an, a, a quote from an opposing coach that said, like, Apu Aika gets all the press, but watch out for Gabe Hall. And I was just like, yeah. I have been working towards this my whole for life. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I think we all, I mean, if you've watched him play when he's been healthy, the dude is just, un, I, I mean, I he's unblockable. I know. It, it's, it, there are so many clips of him just like, uh, like, just taking his arms, sticking them in an O-lineman, and it, it looks like the dad with the head, with the for, um, palm on the forehead of the kid. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, no, you're not going to get near me. I'm just going to watch the ball. Don't worry about you. He's a freak. Um, and I actually just saw this morning um, a, a mock draft from ESPN that had Apu Aika at 29 and no mention of Gabe Paul. And I was just like, I still think Gabe is probably going to go above Apu in the NFL draft. I'm really happy for Apu. But anyway, I'm just really happy for Gabe because I think he's finally getting his due. The dude is just, you know, Baylor strength and conditioning on Twitter will post these clips of these guys working out. And it's like the most, um, I don't know if it's like being cool or being a loser, but when I watch these videos, but if you watch Gabe Hall versus all these, it's like immediately noticeable. You're just like, oh, that's Gabe Hall. Like, because he just looks on a different level of athlete from on a team that has a lot of great athletes and a lot of great athletes on the defensive line, he just looks different. He does, and and he's just a, a fascinating prospect to watch, and they need him to have a big year. Like, if he's having a big year, that's going to be something really, really exciting to see. And also, we've talked about this a little bit, but I do think Dave Aranda wants to see more penetration from his defensive front than they yeah. got last year. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna rely on the defensive line to just win more mm-hmm. this year, and I think – you're still going to see them run that base tight front where they're just controlling the run game on first and 10 yep. and stuff like that. But whereas last year when you got in clear passing situations, they really kind of played a lot of games with whether it was Terrell Bernard blitzing or Jalen Petrie blitzing. I think this year it might be more just like put five guys on the line of scrimmage. Dude, you can have – it's very feasible to have on that line on a third and seven. You could have you could have Gabe Hall. You could have Apu Aika, um, Jackson Player. And then guys like Matt Jones and Bryson Jackson coming yeah. off the edge. 
I mean, what do you, that, that's, in, that's insane. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, so I think they're going to ask a lot from those guys this year. I think so too. And Garmin Randolph as well. I mean, there's just so many, we're about to talk about them here in a sec. I do want to mention, you know, the young guys real quick. Yeah. Trey Emery. There's not many of them. No. Trey Emery profiles really well to me at nose tackle. I do think that's where he's going to end up. That's the only and, place that it works yeah. for him. And roster-wise, it makes sense. Like, yeah. they need another nose tackle for the future. So, I think he profiles nicely there. Um, I don't think he's going to play much this year. But I've mentioned this on the board. I do think he can probably be your second nose tackle a year from now. Next year. I don't think he can be the first. That's where I think the portal might have yeah. to come into play for them. He could be your starting nose tackle next year. But that means that... Baylor didn't get somebody better in the portal and nothing against Trey. I think he's going to be a very good nose tackle, but you, you, if you're like wanting to reach your potential as a team, you generally don't want a redshirt freshman nose tackle. Right. Um, not, not as your starter. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that'll be a position to watch. Cooper lands is a guy I was really high on as a recruit and looked awesome in the spring yeah. game. And it was fun to see because in high school, he played kind of that Jack position where he was standing up Um but he was a guy who was obviously going to add weight. And the question you have with those guys is like, okay, are you going to be able to retain that athleticism? Or now are you just going to be kind of like a small defensive end that doesn't really bring anything to the table? Yeah. But then you see him covering Monterey Baldwin mm-hmm. in space at 275 pounds. You're like, okay, never mind. This is going to yeah. be fine. <laughs> this is going to work out nicely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So I think those two. And then hopefully, you know, TJ Franklin hopefully comes back next year. Yeah. Um, that gives you a solid nucleus of young guys. But then, you know, you're going to need to take some guys in the portal and then hopefully with this defensive line class that they're building for this upcoming year, have one or two contributors there. Definitely. Okay. Let's, let's move on. Let's go position by position. Cause I think it's a little bit easier. Let's start with the Jack yeah. spot. So the guys that have profiling there, you know, Garmin Randolph, Matt Jones, I think are going to get a lot of time. I also think Jackie Marshall and Tony and Yanwu will, will contribute there as well. It's a deep group, um, but I really do, deep. I do think Garmin is going to be the starter there. That that's my hunch. Yeah, and I don't think Matt Jones is a Jack anymore. Um, if you look at if you look at Baylor strength and conditioning things where they're mm-hmm. posting the boards, he's been listed as linebacker, yep. and they have a specific spot for Jack. And I know there's been these quotes from Miranda this offseason saying that they want him to replace Terrell Bernard. Mm-hmm. I'm still skeptical. Uh, I'm skeptical in the sense of we haven't seen how it would work yet, and it's still projection at this point. To can Matt Jones play inside linebacker? Um, like on an every down basis, plugging the run, doing all the complicated things that they need to do. So I guess I'll talk about that with him. I think he can, but I think probably at Mike better than Will. Yeah, it's projection. Mm -hmm. Um, But talking about the guys at Jack, I think Garmin is just very clearly like he was a big project out of high school. Um, He was like 6'7", 220 when he got to Baylor, and now he's like 6'7", 260 or so. Um, And, you know, his thing is he can drop in pass coverage and he can rush the passer, but can he set the edge against the run? He's never going to be amazing at it, just with his frame. But he's gotten better and better and better. Um, and I think he's very clearly the starter. And, you know, he's a guy that doesn't get a lot of press. And I forget about him sometimes, too. But, I mean, he has serious NFL potential yeah. if he puts it all together. Yeah, um, he does. Teams are really looking for guys that do what he can do and be versatile. So I think it's a big year for him to show that he can be tough on the edge because we know he can rush the passer and we know that he can drop in coverage. And he's going to get so many one-on-one opportunities yes. rushing the passer that I think it's critical. Whoever does start there can actually impact the game as a pass rusher. I know you need him to set the edge, but if he's getting, you know, seven, eight sacks this year, sure. it, you can't take him off the field. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. I think if he's set up for a big year, and then I think, you know, it's probably – uh, other than corner, I think this might be the deepest position on the team. When you just kind of look at the freakiest athletes yeah. and where they land, you know, uh, Tony Onyanwu's 
Tony Anyanwu and Jackie Marshall are probably the next guys up in line, and they're both freaky in their own ways. Yeah. Tony's more of, I would say, more of a set-the-edge pass rusher guy. Well, actually, both of them are pretty much that way, too, but they just do it in a lot different bodies. Yeah. Although both are just kind of short and stout, but <laughs> Jackie's like 275. Jackie's going to set the edge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. His high school tape is hilarious. He just he – just, he's – he just throws guys down yep. with his hands, really strong, violent hands. So anyway, I mean, I think this kind of ties into maybe a discussion for next year as far as what they do with their defensive front next year. I think next year might set up for them very well with all the depth they have at this position to play with multiple jacks on the field at the mm-hmm. same time. Uh, but this year, I think it's going to be the Garmin Randolph show. Um, mixing in some Jackie Marshall and Tony Anyanwu on base downs. And then on passing downs is where we get to see Bryson Jackson do his thing. And I also think he is somewhat under-discussed in the sense of probably because, like, we know exactly what we're going to get. But great pass rushers in college football are very rare. Like, it's a tough skill. And Um, he can pass rush from multiple positions, which is freaky. Like, he'll come in and play Will and rush the pass from there, and then he'll come in on the edge and rush the pass, and you're like, Oh my gosh, where's this guy coming from? Yeah, I mean, it's just the guys that can bend the way that he does and guys that can kind of explode and have the natural instincts of how to get to the quarterback are rare. And, you know, they played him at inside linebacker some this spring, and I think it was just kind of like, well, he doesn't need any more practice rushing the passer. I didn't think he looked very good at inside linebacker, which has kind of been his toughness the whole time. It's like where he slots, but I think Aranda finally found a position for him, which is like, hey – it's third and seven. You're coming in. Get after the quarterback. And like we've talked about, you're going to have all these other defensive linemen lined up next to you. You're going to get a 1v1 opportunity, and he's going to make it happen. He's going to feast. Yeah. He's I mean, clean. I think he could lead the team in sacks this year despite only playing, like, 20 or 30% of snaps. Yeah. And uh, Well, Gabe Hall, but yeah. second. Maybe. Okay. Second on the team. I'll and be very happy if it's Gabe. Yeah, and Garmin's going to be in there, too. Um, okay, let's, let's move to uh, – how about Will? Let's sure. Let's move to Will. I think the favorites there, I mean, well, I guess Matt Jones, if he ends up being involved there, I just don't see how he's starting over either Josh White or Will Williams. Those are my two favorites. I think it's going to be Josh White. Yeah. I just think the athletic profile, what he brings to the table, I just, I think it fits so perfectly for this defense. And he knows Dave Randy. He knows the scheme. It's not an adjustment for him to come to Baylor and try to learn on the fly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. But I think it's going to be Matt Jones. Yeah, right, right, right. I think, you know, I've been watching a lot of Ron Roberts clinics this offseason. And one thing that really kind of comes to the forefront when you look at how he teaches his scheme is that, like, the defensive line is kind of in their own little world. And the defensive backs are in their own little world. And this isn't necessarily specific to his scheme, but in general. And then the linebackers kind of have to do it all. They have to know what the front is doing. They have to know what the coverage is doing. And so it really – and not only that, but in all of their, you know, run fits, whether where they're defending the run or rushing the um, – or dropping back into coverage, they have a lot of options on each play. It's like Roberts will teach them, okay, depending on what the guard does here, you can either go this way or that way, or you might have this gap or this gap. And depending – you know, there's a lot of options. Mm-hmm. All of that to say that I think Roberts really values guys that are intelligent, that know what they're doing – um, and that he can rely on them to do what they're doing. And I'm not saying that Will Williams and Josh White can't do that. I have no idea whether they can or can't do that. Um, but the way that they're talking about Matt Jones all offseason and they've kind of slotted him into that just makes me think that that's what the staff believes that he can be that. And I think it's why Dylan Doyle is probably almost never going to come off the field because he is so good in that role as well. It's like they can just rely on him 
So you might be sacrificing some athleticism. I mean, if you start Matt Jones over a Mm -hmm. Will Williams or a Josh White, you are sacrificing athleticism. I would say I think everything they've talked about is more directly correlated to Matt Jones versus Will Williams because they haven't. Josh White hadn't been on campus. Hasn't been on campus. They haven't practiced with him. So if you throw pads on and then you see Josh White and you're like, oh no, wait a minute. And and that's also one of those things where I think Matt Jones is probably the best backup linebacker in the entire Big 12 and one of the best linebacker backup linebackers in the country. But I think he's a Mike more than a Will. Very clearly. Very clearly. Um, you know, what Baylor likes to do with their mic, which is Dylan Doyle, is is have him push up on the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. They like to use him on the edge and all that stuff. You're just like, that is Matt Jones' yeah. world. Yeah. The problem is, I think, that they're throwing the line with him is, like, if you just tell him that he's a backup again this year, mm-hmm. is he going to stay on the team? Right. Um, you know, and he's <laughs> – you know, that's the modern era of the transfer portal. Um, and I'm, I, don't, I say that with no knowledge. of I don't know what Matt's yeah. thinking. But I th- think that's something you have to think with all of your best players – and so I think the best case scenario for me this year would be to see, pick your top three guys, whether that's Dylan Doyle and then Matt Jones and Josh White or Matt Jones and Will Williams, mm-hmm. and give them kind of have them rotate to where maybe Matt plays some Will and then he spells Dylan Doyle for a series or two at Mike. That I think is probably what I would predict is most likely. Yeah, to happen. and I could definitely see that a rotation makes a ton of sense for this defense as well. There, Mike, we talked about Dylan Doyle. I do want to talk really quick just because I know you and I both have been very high on Tyrone yeah. Brown. Yeah, love him, love his opportunity in the future. Don't think it's going to happen this year quite no. yet. He might see some snaps, but I think he's probably a year away. Yeah, I mean Dylan Doyle is a first team Ultimate Big Twelve yeah. linebacker. He's an incredible player. He's probably the player that I have. My opinion of him has grown the highest this offseason from where he was last year. I just the, – the role that he plays in this defense is so incredibly valuable. Um, just tough. He's, he's a better athlete than people realize. I mean, he's not fast, but he's really fluid. He's mm-hmm. good in coverage. He can set the edge in the run game. He's not a great pass rusher, but he's not bad. Just does everything well, and he knows what he's doing. He knows where to be yeah. every time, yeah. And then, yeah, talking about Tyrone, I mean – if Matt Jones ends up replacing Dylan next year, that may, that would push Tyrone to another year away. But it, it's just funny. It's it's kind of like I was saying with the when we were joking about how the um, the narrative for Iowa State shifted so quickly because of one bad year, and then people have been on us like, "Well, what about Tyrone? Y'all were so high on him." I'm like, "He's a redshirt freshman yeah. who came out of West Orange Stark in three A football. Right. Like, he's most, young. Most yeah. linebackers don't start until their junior year. Like, he's got time, and that's ideal. Yeah, for Baylor, are you kidding me? This guy would step in as a redshirt sophomore, a redshirt junior. Yeah. Oh my. I mean, yeah, he'll be ready to go from day one. So yeah, very intrigued by his progression. Uh, let's move on to probably the most complicated defensive position on the roster right now because you're seeing all these stories come out and you're like okay so who's actually playing the star position now for baylor uh names that have been mentioned at star <laughs> uh christian morgan yes lorando johnson al walcott yeah those are the primary three yeah. i know romario noel al allen they, they all fit in there as well but those three are kind of the three that we've heard the most as yeah. they're going to play star so what do we make of this what do you think grayson Man, I, so we talked about this. I, I don't see how you cannot. So first of all, let me preface. I'm not a huge believer in Mark Milton. I'm just, I'm really not. And so for that reason, I feel like it's very hard for me to get aboard moving Al Walcott when I just have no idea what the other guys look like. Now, if you were to tell me they have two great options at corner, we're good to go. Maybe this signifies that. Maybe this is like we can move him there because we feel so good about these guys. 
I'm just not quite there yet with the way Al finished the season. So I'd cross him off the list. I prefer Lorando Johnson. Mm-hmm. I think Lorando Johnson has to be on the field. And mm-hmm. I love Christian Morgan. Like, I love what he's done. But I just don't think he's better than Lorando Johnson as a player. And what I saw in the spring game was more evidence of that. I love what I saw from Lorando. And I think he's the guy that has to be on the field. And that means Christian will probably have to play somewhere else because he's probably got to be on the field as well. Uh, or you rotate guys. So that's kind of where I'm leaning at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I'm kind of at the point now to where if they don't move Walcott to star, I'm going to be, like, upset. You've talked yourself into it? Like, I, I'm More than be, Christian, because you were big on that. I Well, I think Christian should probably also be there. I just yeah. think that Walcott's probably just bet, a better uh-huh. version of what you could get from Christian. Yeah. Uh, but, like, so here's the thing. List out Walcott's strengths. Great hips. Playmaker. Physical. Physical. Can press up against bigger guys at the line of scrimmage. Guard in the slot. Yeah. And yeah. what's his main weakness? Speed. Speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically the profile that Jalen Petrie showed us last year. And I don't think he's obviously not as probably as nobody's going to be as good as Jalen Petrie. Like 448. Mm. <laughs> okay. I, no, I still don't. <laughs> maybe I needed to be there, but I don't believe that time. Yeah. Um, we can leave that for another day. But I just think that, that that just makes so much sense to me. And I think it just ties into may as well, we may as well just move to cornerback now because here's what I'll proffer for you. So, A, if you move Walcott to start. Mm-hmm. You can move snacks, Lorando Johnson, to corner. yeah. Well, I mean, that's what Robert said. He was like, if right. we play Walcott there, at least that's how Sam Khan reported right. it. If we play Walcott there, that means we're going to play snacks at CB. Yeah. And so I, I wrote this down because I wanted to say this exactly right. So, okay. If you're Baylor defensively as a staff, if you can't make it work with a super senior in Mark Milton who's 6'1 with long arms and runs a 4'4 flat, and third-year guys like Lorando Johnson, A.J. McCarty, and Chateau Reed, which I know at least for Chateau Reed and A.J. McCarty, they test like first-round cornerbacks. Yeah. I don't know if Snacks is quite on that level, but I'm sure he's not far off. And then you have other young guys like Tevin Williams and Reggie Bush. Like, if you can't find three good players from that group of like seven guys, like who are you going to make it work with? Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's just kind of how I feel about it. Like, as a staff, like – if you have that kind of talent and you can't find two or three good players out of there, like that's on you. And yeah. I think they will be able to. Um, and so I just think that the the strengths and weaknesses for, I think if Lorando Johnson plays, if Snacks plays star, he's more of a man coverage guy. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be as much of a playmaker and as physical as Al Walcott. And so I think, well, just flip, it just flipped their responsibilities essentially. Yeah. And and I could see that. I think that's probably where my other part of that is, is that Lorando and Christian Morgan complement each other so much more at the star than Al Walcott and Christian Morgan. Like I think Morgan would just be the odd man out. Like they, oh, they're so like they're similar. Redundant. Yeah. Whereas Lorando and Christian are polar opposites in mm. my eyes. So it but is, it's another situation though where because they've gotten so much experience there, like Whoever starts the season at start doesn't necessarily need to finish it. For there. sure. And I would also say that makes me feel more comfortable if Lorando is playing corner because he needs to be on the field. Like, yeah. he's just I think he he's does very too. good. I mean, um, and I think what they've set up a situation for is if they really do upset me and keep Walcott at corner, but then Lorando <laughs> gets hurt, like, you could pretty easily move uh, Walcott to star. Yeah. He's already played there. But in the inverse, the reverse of that is pretty simple as well, too. It's like if things don't work out at corner and you've got Walcott at star, like you can very easily, I think, move him back. I don't think it's imperative that he practices at fall camp at corner. I think I would rather see him make it work at star, and then he can always move back if he needs to. Okay, well, then let's move back a little bit. So if Morgan is the odd man out at star, 
is he the starter somewhere else? Or do you view the, the double Devons as hmm. the starters at the boundary and field? I think I lean towards towards the double Devons, which yeah. for, for those of y'all, that's Devin Neal, the boundary. I think barring, you know, the monkey pox or something like that coming to him, that's basically pretty set in stone. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody usurping him at the boundaries. I, I've said before, and I, I still believe it, I think he's probably going to leave Baylor as the best overall safety they've had in the past 10 or 20 years. Um, and then at the field spot, you have Devin Lemire and uh, Devin Bobby. Mm-hmm. And I think whichever one of those guys wins out, I feel pretty comfortable with. Where does that leave Christian? I think he could serve a defensive role in the same way that Gavin Holmes plays an offensive role where like they carve out a special role as a team leader and playing in certain situations for Gavin offensively. Mm-hmm. And then defensively, they've got like a specific role for Christian where it's like, Hey, when we're playing dime, which means, you know, you put in an extra defensive back, um, we're going to use you as like a space linebacker or like on these passing downs, we're going to use you in these situations. But I don't want him starting over Devin Neal at boundary safety because I think Neal is a better player. I probably don't want him to the field over Devin Bobby or Devin Lemire um, just because I think we've seen that his weakness is kind of playing in that deep space, yeah. which is what the free safety has to do. And I do like him at star, uh, but I like Walcott more. Yeah. Um, and agree. he's very different from snacks, so it's kind of difficult to co- compare them to. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would guess that he's probably carved out like a special role. Yeah, and Devin Lemire actually tested the best. He graded out the best graded of, out the best, of yeah. all the uh, the safety. So I, I do think he's got his position actually pretty firmly yeah. uh, grabbed right now. Now, Devin Bobby has great speed, and that's definitely something that might be intriguing. They're really different the players, which they is are. interesting. Yeah. Um, Lemire, I think, you know, the reason why I wasn't as high as – uh, on him as you were Grayson is he's a really uh, unique player. Mm-hmm. He he's a he's a guy who very much plays on his back heels and then as soon as he explodes forward like it's why he has such a good broad jump. Like he can get from being in that 12 yards deep to being at the line of scrimmage as fast as anybody. Um and he, even though he's only he looks like he's about 175 pounds dripping wet, uh, he plays physical and he likes to hit Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, is against, you know, when TCU's running 10 personnel all the time and bombing the ball downfield to their slot receivers, can he flip his hips and run with those guys downfield? That's, that's just a question for me. I, I, I don't love the prospect of that. Um, and I think that's a situation where maybe in some games you lean towards somebody like Bobby, who, who I think probably profiles better in that arena. Um, but again, this kind of ties back into how Baylor's defensive front, they're going to be able to play two high safeties all the time, which means Lemire is probably not going to be playing a lot of solo coverage against guys. He's going to be playing a lot of combo coverage. Yeah. And I, I do think the long speed is his question, but I don't have as many concerns with him in one-on-one coverage as far as if he's given cushion because mm-hmm. he is very skilled. Yeah. Like he's just, he's very skilled. Yes. That, that's the best word for it is he knows where to be and yep. how to get there. It's just the speed over the top is one thing where yeah. ooh that could be that could be an issue I mean, against like a Texas. If Texas lines up Xavier Worthy in the slot, right? Devin Lemire needs like a fifteen yard cushion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no slide to Lemire, but that's that's just the way it it's is. It's just the opposite of what JT Woods brought, exactly. Which is totally fine because their defense is going to scheme for that. Yeah, as well. And I guess some of the the younger guys is just worth talking about since we're going through the roster. I mean, you've got Cisco Caston, who I continue to think that. When you watch him in drills, physically, I think he's the best-looking safety on yeah. the roster. Uh, just the way he moves is awesome. 
I went back and watched his high school tape, and I realized that his main weakness is he just didn't play very physical in high school. Mm-hmm. And because he's a bigger guy, like Devin Lemire, or excuse me, Devin Neal is awesome um, playing physical against the run, making sure tackles. That's where Caston's going to need to make an improvement. And um, who else are we missing here, Grayson? Uh, we're missing Corey Gordon, who actually oh, like yeah. quite a bit. Um, oh, and Mike Harris. And Mike Harris and uh, Byron Hansbard. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. so Byron, I think nothing needs to be said at this point. Like, if he was going to play, he was going to would yeah. have played by now. Um, Mike Harris really surprised me in the spring game. I actually thought he looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like five foot nine out of high school and more of like a small, speedy guy. And we weren't really sure how it's going to work, but it looks like he's bolted up and he looks like he's playing pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I think he's a solid rotation piece this year that you need if somebody gets hurt. Um, and then Corey Gordon is a true freshman that is years away from playing yes. because he played at a tiny high school and needs to totally learn the position. And had to literally be the whole team. He played offense and defense, was the quarterback, running back, and receiver. Pretty sure he was throwing routes to himself yeah. at times as they were losing literally, not joking, by like 60 yeah. every game. I mean, yeah. it was really bad. And he's something that, I mean, just kind of sticking a pin in him. Uh, he's he's kind of like Petrie to me, and like I don't know how fast he is. He might be mm-hmm. a 4.75 guy. He might be a 4.6 guy. I don't really know. I think he ran four low 4.6s at Baylor. If he if yeah. he's that fast, uh, which I have no reason to doubt that, then I think he actually profiles as a really good player. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I was at. When I heard that time, I was like, oh, that changes things significantly yeah. on him. Um, really quick, cornerback. Oh, yeah, okay. So – do you view so you view AJ McCarty and Chateau Reed as the next two yeah. behind the starters? Yeah, and it, I mean it's tough to say because I think Chateau's dealt with some injuries over the past year, which is the only reason I would put AJ above him at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, AJ is a guy that Kevin Curtis, the quarterbacks coach, said that is just like as soon as he learns how to play within the defense, he has everything else because he's a playmaker. Yeah. Um, so that'll be something to watch this year. Um, just I mean when I say that. You know, you hear a first-round player thrown around a lot from college fans. I mean, there's only 30 first-round draft picks. Um, but A.J. Reed, excuse me, A.J. McCarty and Chateau Reed really do test, like, top 15 NFL draft picks. I mean, they have that kind of freaky size, length, speed, acceleration, all that kind of stuff. So if they can put it together, there's all the potential in the world there. Yeah, and so do Reggie Bush and Tevin Woods. I know. That's, that's – it's luxury. It's a luxury to have. I just – I'm so curious by those two as well and how they yeah. fit it. I think they're going to push the So Baylor. Two. So Baylor played with four total cornerbacks last year, but really it was kind of a rotation of three guys mm-hmm. at any one point. Who do you think they're your best guess for those three guys for are the this three? year? Well, I guess it's whoever between Lorando and Al ends up playing right. one of the cornerbacks. Do you think you, Mark gets passed up by somebody? I think they're going to play Mark, but I think by the end of the year, I, I actually think that it's probably going to end up being A.J. McCarty. Yeah. And then I think it's going to be Tevin Williams. Oh, wow. Okay. Big moves there. Yeah. yeah I, I think I'd, I, I'm i usually on the bold side of things, but I think I'll probably stick with, Chateau. like you said. Uh, or no, no, no. I think it would probably be um, whoever is there between Walcott and Snacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Milton, and then probably A.J. McCarty. Yeah. So, And then I think Chateau is a guy who next season is somebody you can really look at to explode. Awesome. Well, I mean, I think that's – we just went through the whole roster. Yeah. We did it. I mean, yeah. we didn't do kicker or punter, but – I don't care. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> so that's pretty much the preview. That's the rundown. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. Um, we'll do more stuff like this hopefully in the future, just talking about the roster and our projections for this Baylor team going forward. But – um, I think that's a pretty nice baseline as we kind of move forward in the summer. Yeah, man. Really appreciate it. It's fun. Um, I still feel like we just skimmed the surface. So yeah, we'll yeah. have to do this again. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Can't go through all of it. But uh, thanks for listening. Um, this has been kind of just a, a position.
Position Rundown with Grayson Grunhafer and Travis Roeder on Sikkim365.com.